0: Hebrews 8, 7 to 13. If you have your notes, that's good. If not, please make sure you have some notes because we're going to go through uh, scriptures, a lot of scriptures. Hebrews 8, 7 to 13. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. Does anybody remember Hebrews 8, 6, where we stopped last week? Yes, right. And and as much he has become a better mediator, right? That's why we closed it last week. That Jesus is a better mediator of a better covenant that was established on better promises, right? Better mediator, better covenant, better promises. Now in, in this paragraph, the author of Hebrews is continuing how Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant that was established on better promises. So let's look into that. Hebrews eight uh, seven to thirteen <clears throat> for for in that um, in that first covenant had been faultless for if not i I'm sorry for if that first covenant has had been faultless then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault in them he says behold the days are coming says the Lord when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I uh, disregarded them, says the Lord. Now verse 10, here, here is the new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, And write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and all their sins sins and their lawlessness deeds I will remember no more. Verse 13, in that, he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is coming, well, now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Amen. So we have been talking uh, in the book of Hebrews now for 33 weeks, and we have arrived to the very end of chapter 8. What we have been looking so far into is the supremacy of Christ over the Old Testament elements. We've seen that Jesus is superior to the prophets, superior to the angels, superior to Moses, and the bulk of the book of Hebrews from chapter 5 all the way to almost the end of chapter 10, arguing that Jesus is superior than Aaron, the high priest of the Old Testament. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 argue that Jesus is a superior high priest. The person of Jesus is superior than the person of Aaron, right? Now, chapter 8, 9, and most of chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus has a superior priesthood. The ministry of Jesus is superior than the ministry of Aaron. And he took almost uh, three chapters just to discuss that. Amen? And that's where we're at right now. We have seen last week where we started this, that Jesus' ministry is superior because Jesus ministered in a superior sanctuary. He ministered in a superior uh, church. And since where he ministered is superior, therefore his ministry is superior. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to see that Jesus' ministry, his priesthood is superior because he ministered on better terms. His his covenant that he has established is better than the covenant, the terms under which Aaron was a high priest in the Old Testament. In verse 9, we're going to start on that in two weeks. Jesus has a better ministry. Jesus was was able to accomplish more than Aaron. And then in verse chapter 10, we're going to see that Jesus has a better sacrifice than that of Aaron. All in all, these three, three chapters compose how the ministry of Jesus is superior than the ministry of Aaron. How Jesus has a superior priesthood. Last week, again, we talked about a better sanctuary. Today, we're going to start talking about that better covenant that Jesus was his mediator. Verse uh, 7, chapter 8, verse 7 reads this. For if that first covenant had been faultless, what does that tell you? That the first covenant was faulty, right? It has fault in it. So here we see that the covenant itself is faulty. And in that way, the author of Hebrews is keep on continuing what he has been trying to tell us over and over again. Remember in chapter 7, verse 11, he said that the Levitical priesthood was imperfect, right? Because it could not bring man to God. So the actual Levitical priesthood is imperfect. In chapter 7, verse 18, we saw that the the law itself has weakness and was unprofitable because it could not bring man to God. So the priesthood is imperfect. The law is weak and unprofitable. And then in verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 27 to 28, we see that the priests, the high priest himself of the Old Testament, was men with uh, weakness, because they needed to offer sacrifices for their own sins over and over and over again. And now here in chapter... We, In chapter 5, we see, I'm sorry, in chapter 8, in verse 5, we see that the old sanctuary was lifeless. It was only a copy and a shadow of the new sanctuary, amen? And now we see that the covenant is, uh, the old covenant is faulty. So the guy is going through every single element of the Old Testament way of approaching God and he's saying there's a problem with it, right? The priesthood is imperfect, The law is uh, weak and unprofitable. The high priest himself is men with weakness. The sanctuary of the Old Testament is just a copy and a shadow. And now the covenant itself of the Old Testament is faulty. But why? Why was the Old Covenant is faulty? We know that... um, um, Paul told us that the law itself is is perfect. There is nothing wrong with the commandment of God that he has given to his people in the Old Testament. So how come it is faulty? It is faulty because it depended on man to do part of that deal in order for this covenant to work. And because man is unable to do his part, that's why the covenant itself is faulty. That's why notice what he said in chapter 8, verse 8. It says this, let me read chapter, verse 7 and 8. For if that first covenant has been faultless, there is no place, there, then no place would have been sought for a second. Verse 8, because finding fault in it, right, he says, does it say that? Finding fault in who? Them. Them. So God did not find fault in the covenant. You guys are with me? The covenant is faulty because them, they could not do their part in that covenant. You guys are with me? Mm -hmm. Not saying that the author of Hebrews doesn't say here because finding fault in it, God decided to replace it with a better covenant. No. God finding fault in the people to do their part, which made the covenant, which made the law imperfect, has faults in it, finding covenant in them, God has decided that he's going to bring in a brand new, far much better covenant covenant than that of the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. Now, the word that he says here, finding fault in them, he says in Greek, that's a present tense, not a past tense. But then the author of Hebrews continued to quote Jeremiah, which, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, which is a passage that is already written in the Old Testament. You guys are with me? It will make more sense. If the author of Hebrews would have said, founding fault in them, he said that back in the day, during the time of Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming, right? But he used the present tense, Finding fault in them, he says, and the reason why the author of Hebrews used the present tense is you want to say this, that covenant, that new covenant that God spoke to Jeremiah in the past is still valid in the present day for the church of the living God. Amen? Amen? It is applicable not just to the people of Jeremiah, it is applicable to you and me. That's why he used the present tense. Now, finding fault in them, he says, What? The days are coming, says the Lord, when I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel, not like that old covenant which they could not do, could not handle. That's, for me, mind-blowing. Think about that. Think about that. Let's take the covenant of marriage, for example. A man and a woman agree that they're going to get married, and they're going to be faithful to each other, and that is the terms of the covenant, Right? they got to be faithful. That is the DNA of the terms of that covenant. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to be committed 100% to you, that the man says. And the wife and say, and I'm going to be 100% committed to you back, and that's it. From today forward, we're exclusively together. And then imagine down the road, one of these two spouses uh, break that covenant and cheat on their spouse. Now, it's really hard for the spouse that has been cheated on to go back and continue in that covenant, right? I mean, that's even why Jesus said the only reason divorce is allowed in the church is because of fornication. Because Jesus understands that it's really hard. That broke the covenant to the point that it's really hard to be redeemed, right? So if somebody, one of these two spouses, cheat, the other spouse, in a way, is free that they can divorce and break that covenant and break free from the bond of the covenant. You guys are with me. They're not under obligation anymore to continue that covenant, not because they did not do their part, but because they got hurt by the spouse who messed up the covenant. That's why God said you're free to go out of this commitment that you have made, right? Right. Apply the same principles to God. He made a covenant with his people. And they said, we will do whatever you're going to do for us. And they made a covenant. God said, I'll be your God. I'll give you all my grace and mercy. And I will make you the best nation in the world. And I'm going to give you the promised land. Just obey my commandments. The people say, deal. We'll do what you want us to do. Whatever you command, we'll do. And they entered into the covenant. And the people of the Old Testament broke that covenant. And they did not abide with what they have agreed that they're going to do with God. Right? God has every right to abandon the nation of Israel once and for all. Right? Because he gave them a chance. They had a deal. And they messed up their part. Deal is over. That makes sense to you and me. That sounds fair. Isn't it fair? It is so fair. God has every right to abandon the people of Israel because they have broken the commandment <coughs> that they have made to him. But look at our God. He is so merciful. He is so gracious. That He is the God of the second chances. When He saw that the people of Israel messed up the commitment that they had made for Him in the Old Testament. And instead of saying, I am done with you. I gave you the chance. You messed it up. I am over. I'm going to go find myself a people who will do my commandment and do my covenant. God does something not even the wildest in our wildest imagination we can even imagine. Amen? God goes and does a better covenant with the people of Israel. Now go back to say, hey you messed it up. I'm going to give you another chance to do my covenant right. He didn't even do that. He went back and gave them a far much better covenant so they can have that relationship with him. Amen? Amen? This is our God. He is the God of the second chances. He's the God who's endless in his grace and his mercy and his love for his people. Amen? amen the author of Hebrews continues from verse 7 to verse 12 he, he is quoting Jeremiah 31 verse 31 to 34 which is the terms of the covenant that God has said in the Old Testament and that is what the author of Hebrews was just alluding to in verse 6 that this is a better covenant based on better promises or established on better promises God said, or, uh, uh, God said in Jeremiah, which is quoted by the author of Hebrews, that this covenant will be made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, right? And it is true that when Jeremiah said it, it was understood that it's literally the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the physical blood-related house of Israel and house of Judah. But we know from the New Testament that those who are of faith are the children of Abraham. Amen? Amen. That the physical Israel of God has been replaced by you and me, the spiritual... Israel of God in the New Testament. Amen. So even though the terms of that covenant was, when it was said back then in Jeremiah, it was understood to be the physical nation of Israel. We know, looking backward now as New Testament believer, that this covenant is for you and me as the spiritual Israel of God. Amen. And then it says this, that this covenant will happen down the road, right? God said, In these days, the day will come, God says, that I will make a covenant with the children of Israel. So God here is talking about something that will happen in the future that started and was established when Jesus died on the cross and by him becoming the mediator of that covenant. Amen? Amen. These words that Jeremiah said, the day will come, Remind us of the words of the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. God, who's in times past, has spoken to our fathers in many ways, has in what? These last days. You remember what we said about these words? These last days doesn't mean the end of time chronologically. It means these are the times of the fulfillment of the promises of God. These are the days in which all the promises of God will become reality for us. Amen? That is the promise that God has made to Jeremiah that the day will come which is right now the author of Hebrews telling us this is the day, the day of the New Testament, the day of the church that God will make a brand new covenant for you and for me. Amen? Amen. And the good thing about this covenant is this, not God said in verse 9, not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers. This covenant will be different than the covenant I made with their fathers. There are so many differences, but the largest difference for me is that the old covenant was conditional. You guys are with me? In, in in Exodus 24, we read about the inauguration of that covenant. God said, I will be your God, I will make you, I'll give you the promised land, I will exalt you among the nations, but you have to obey my commandments. And the nation of Israel said, We'll do it, right? Now, let's go back and read these couple of verses verse 10 to verse uh, 12 here in Hebrews which is a quote from Jeremiah Hebrews 10 to 12 uh, 18 to 12 a quote from Jeremiah for this is the covenant so here is the new terms amen look at look with me for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord I will put my laws in their minds I will write them in their hearts I will be their God and they shall be my people none of them shall teach their uh, his neighbor and none his brother saying know the Lord for all will know me from the littest, from the smallest of them to the greatest of them and I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins um, and their lawless deeds I will remember no more question question what is the part that Israel has to do for that in that covenant that is, there's no conditions here right No conditions. Who's the one who's doing all the terms of this covenant? God, right? Everything is God. Everything is conditional on God. The people has to do nothing. You guys are with me? I don't know about you. That makes me so happy. You guys are with me. I don't know about you, but I screw up a lot. Amen? I make a lot of dumb mistakes, right? And I sin and I do a lot of messed up stuff, right? I am just so glad that my relationship with God is not dependent on me anymore. Amen? Because if it was remotely dependent on me, if I have to pinch in 1% in order for that covenant to, to, to come to pass, then guess what? I know I'm going to mess it up. I know I'm going to ruin it. I know this covenant will never work if it dependent on me in any way or shape or form. Amen? But we have a covenant, a better covenant, that is established with our heavenly Father that you and me has no part in it. It's God through and through. From the A to the Z, from the Alpha to the Omega, it's all the grace, the mercy, and the faithfulness of God. Amen? I don't know about you. You can sleep well at night knowing that you cannot mess up your relationship with God. Amen? Obviously, I'm not saying go live in sin and abandon Christ or not like that. Because if you do, then you're not really part of that covenant. Because God said part of that covenant is that His law will be written in your heart, right? So you will have a new nature. You will have a, a different nature that wants to please God. If you don't have that nature, you're not part of the covenant to start with, right? But if you are part of that covenant, if you have that nature, you're random Not the way of life, but random sins here and there is not going to mess up that covenant that God has established with you. Amen? Amen. This is such a relief, I tell you. Praise God for that. Now, moving on, let's look into the terms of that covenant. We kind of already touched base on that. If you remember, anybody remembers when we talked about this before? I'll be really impressed if you remember We talked about this when we talked about the power of the blood of Jesus. How the blood of Jesus is the blood of the covenant. Remember that? That was uh, maybe a year and a half ago. I can't remember. Something like that. We touched base on these uh, three terms of the covenant. Let's touch base on it a little bit more now. I'm going to read verse 10 to 12 with you. And I want you to count with me the times when God say, I will. Because these are the things that he's going to do. Amen? verse 10 to verse 12 for this is the covenant which I will make with the house this is, doesn't count right This is, he still hasn't got it into the terms yet I will make with the house of Israel after this day says the Lord okay here is the term start count with me number one I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts amen, amen. and I will this is the second I will be their God and they shall be my people none of them shall teach the, his neighbor and none his brother saying know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them number verse 12 for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deed I will remember no more they go together I will be merciful I will not remember it anymore so in a way God here is pledging that he gonna do three things to his people none of them is dependent on Israel amen None of them is dependent on you and me. Number one. I will put my law in their minds. And write them on their hearts. Amen. And that's why. This is a better covenant. The Old Testament covenant was written where? On the stone. Right? It was from written on the stones. But the new covenant is written in the heart. The Old Testament testament covenant the old covenant was external right but the new covenant is internal internal. this is not an outside obligation this is an inside initiation you guys are with me this is not something that is forced on you from the outside this is something you desire from the inside Amen? amen why because God tried to put it on the outside. God tried to put his laws in in, in tab- tablets of stone. And the people failed when it was an obligation, right? That's why God said, if I keep giving you obligations, you're going to keep messing it up. So the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to come inside of you. And I'm going to give you the desire and the power to live the commandments that I want you to live. You guys are with me? Yeah. And that's precisely what Jesus does. In, in Christ Jesus, in Christianity, it's not about legalism. It's not about going to a specific church, doing certain things, doing certain number of good deeds versus try to avoid all these bad deeds. It's about the living Christ comes into your heart and changes you. And when you are in Christ Jesus, the Bible says you are and you are creation. Everything changes because the law of God now is written in your heart. It drives you from within and instead of being an obligation from without. You guys are with me? That's the good thing about the new covenant. You now have a new nature inside of you that desires to please God. But isn't also amazing? Think about this. God gave people commandments in the Old Testament. Let's pick up on one. Don't commit adultery, for example, whatever. God said, don't do that. And the people goes out and mess it up, right? Even David, the, the man who's after God's own heart, breaks that commandment. So God starts thinking to himself and say, you know what? I told these people not to commit adultery and, and, and they just can't keep it together. They cannot do my commandments. So what I'm going to do, let me just... Cut them a little bit of a slack, right? God said, let me be okay with them commit adultery, right? As long as they're not going to do it more than 30 times in their lifetime, I should be okay with it, right? No. Is that what God did? No. Do you see that God did not lower his standards in the New Testament, right? The same law has not changed. The content of the law has not changed at all. The same God who said don't commit adultery in the Old Testament, He said don't commit adultery in the New Testament. You guys are with me. The only difference is this. In the New Testament, God has given us the power from within to live that law. You guys are with me. Do you see that? God has not compromised His holiness in the New Covenant. God has not compromised His law. As a matter of fact, if you look at it, it's a whole lot harder in the New Testament. You guys are with me? Think about... What Jesus has said on the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount. He said this. He said, I heard in the Old Testament, don't murder. I say to you, don't hate your brother. Don't call your brother, you fool. Now, which one is harder to live by? To murder or to say, never to curse and say, you fool, right? Yes. Jesus said, I heard in the Old Testament, you should not commit adultery. I say to you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you already committed that sin, right? Which one is harder to live by? to commit the physical adultery or to look lustfully after a woman, right? The one is the second one is a whole lot harder. Jesus said, I heard in the New Testament, if you don't like your wife, give her the certificate of divorce. And I'm telling you in the New Testament, there is no divorce whatsoever unless there is fornication. You guys are with me? And you go down the list one by one by one, the law of God has become even more stricter. But with the new covenant, God has given us the power from within to live that law of God. Amen? 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 That's why it's a better covenant. Because it's not an outside obligation. It's an inward power. That the living Christ will come into your heart. Dwell inside of you. And enable you to live the terms of the covenant. But not only that. Not that God will write his laws in our hearts. But God said also, I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Now, this part of the covenant. This commitment from God It's not really new to the New Testament or the New Covenant. Actually, God said that in the Old Testament many times to his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is a quote from the Old Testament that was repeated over and over and over again under the terms of the Old Covenant. So is this something new from God? It's not new, but it's new. It is not new that he will be their God and they will be his people. But what is new is how he's going to be their God and they shall be his people. Amen? In the Old Testament, God could only be their God and they shall be his people. Only if the people of Israel will do their part and obey their commandments. Amen? But in the New Testament, there's no condition to that. The New Testament, God is our God, regardless of how well you strive or how bad you, you don't strive. Amen? But again, I'm not promoting sin. I'm not saying go live whatever you want. God will always be your God. You guys are with me. It's one package deal because now the law of God is written in your heart. It is not dependent on you anymore. It's an unconditional promise from God to the New Testament believer that he will always be our God and we always will be his people. Amen? Amen. Because his power inside of us makes us and drives us to live the life of righteousness. Amen? You guys are with me? And then in verse 11 says this, Part of the deal that he will be our God or part of the explanation that he will be our God and we shall be his people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the concept of knowing God, it is not just about knowing his name or knowing that he exists or believe in the theology of God. You guys are with me? Over and over and over again, we see that knowing God is linked to obeying his commandments. Not just knowing intellectually about God, but knowing him in the heart, that the heart would obey him. Amen? For example, in... um, Judges two ten when 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 Moses when the people of Israel entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua and Joshua died we read this that um I'm sorry I'm trying to find um trying the first of the quote okay anyway it's just the second line here um, after Joshua died. Uh, Arose another generation after them who did not know Yahweh, nor yet the work which he has done for Israel. We read that in Judges 2, verse 10. Hosea said that the people perish because of no knowledge of God in the land. Obviously they knew about God intellectually. You guys are with me. They know who God is. You know his name. You know what people believe about him. But they did not know him because they did not obey his commandment. You guys are with me? And in in an essence what the author of Hebrews is telling us here is this. Because God will write his law in our hearts the results of that is that God will be unconditionally our God and will be his people and will know him because we will always obeying his commandments. Are you guys with me? That's how you know God. You know God by obeying him. You know him in the heart not just in your brain. Amen? So here is the terms of that new covenant. Number one I will write my laws in their hearts. Number two I will be their gods and they shall be my people and not only that. Number three I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins. And their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Under the Old Testament covenant, there is not really true forgiveness of sin at all. You guys know that, right? We talked about this multiple times. Number one, there's absolutely no sacrifices for intentional sin in the Old Testament. All the sacrificial system was only for unintentional sin. Somebody like David in the Old Testament who intentionally committed adultery and intentionally murdered, he has no remedy in the Old Testament rules. He should be just killed. But God decided to be good to him and spare him. Amen? Mm -hmm. On account of Christ who will bear her sins eventually. But under the Old Testament, if you sin on purpose, you have no forgiveness. You just have to pay the penalty of breaking the law of God. And not only that, but the author of Hebrews told us, probably later on, we can read about that. Every single time there is a sacrifice, there is also a remembrance of sin. Whenever that person brings a sacrifice, that is a tangible reminder of his sins. And he cannot be factually in, in, in actually be forgiven before God. It's just as simple that through the blood of that sacrifice he can be forgiven. Amen? So now is saying unlike the Old Testament covenant that was not able to provide actual forgiveness, just a picture of how to obtain forgiveness, the new covenant is different and it's much better because it does actually provide real forgiveness. God said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, when God says, this is so good, when God says, I will remember them no more, the fact that God remembers something in the scripture Bears consequences. For example, we read in the book of Acts, chapter ten, that the the alms and the giving and the prayers of Cornelius ascended before God as a memorial, as something rem- that remember that God remembers, and as the result of that, God sent uh, Peter so he can show him salvation. Why through Christ Jesus? Amen. In Revelation sixteen nineteen, we read this: Babylon the Great has. Uh, was remembered in the sight of God and as the result of that Babylon was punished and start bearing the consequences of the wrath of God. You guys are with me? So when God remembers something that means he just doesn't just think about it in his mind, he also acts on it. You guys are with me? Whether it's good or bad, whatever he remembers, he'll act on that. You guys... We are looking where is this is going. Amen? If God will ever remember your sins, then He must visit you with punishment for your sins. Amen? Good thing He doesn't remember our sins no more. Amen? Because if it ever come across His mind, then He must punish us for their sins. Amen? It's part of being merciful to our sins and our lawless deeds. It's part of forgiveness is that He will remember it no more. Amen? True forgiveness is... Under the new covenant rules that was not provided under the old covenant. Verse 13, the author of Hebrews closing by saying this In that he says a new covenant. What is that? Where is that word new covenant that the author of Hebrews is referring to here comes from? In that he says a new covenant. What is the author of Hebrews referring to here? He's referring to verse. um Correct, but if you go back with me here to verse, um, verse eight, mm-hmm. verse eight, which is a quote from Jeremiah as well, uh, because finding fault in them, he says, "Behold, the days are coming," says the Lord, "when I will make a new covenant." These words, new covenant, put it in quotes, that is what the author of Hebrews is talking about here in verse 13. When he refers to that new, when God referred to the words terminology, new covenant, when he spoke with Jeremiah, he has made the first obsolete. Now that is becoming obsolete and growing old, is ready to vanish away. What the author of Hebrews is telling us this: that day God spoke to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 and said, From The day will come that I will make a new covenant. Since God ever uttered that word in an effect, God is declaring that the old covenant has been obsolete and is now gradually growing old to the point that when Jesus comes, it will vanish away and it will never be in existence anymore. Amen. So the day God spoke to Jeremiah, that started the promises. That started the process in which the old covenant started growing old. And it came to the point that it totally vanished away when Jesus established the new covenant through his blood. Amen? Mm-hmm. Amen? Amen? Now, let me just close with the and we're done. Throughout chapter 7, <clears throat> right? Even before that, chapter 5, 6, and 7, the author of Hebrews kept going back to Psalm 110 verse 4, right? When, when David said, when God promised through David, um, The Lord has sworn and shall not relent. You are a high priest forever on the order of Melchizedek, right? And now the author of Hebrews is going back to Jeremiah 31 and saying, Remember that passage in Jeremiah when God said that they will come when he will make a new covenant with the people of Israel that he, he will be truly forgiving for our sins. So what the author of Hebrews is saying here is this. Salvation and approaching God through Christ is not a New Testament invention. You guys are with me? This is not just a brand new idea that God just came up with. After the last prophet of the Old Testament, God said, you know what? Let me just try something brand new that I've never tried before. Let me send Jesus to see if he can make the way for them to come close to me. Amen? Well, the author of Hebrews is telling us this. This way that we right now in the 21st century as the church of the living God is approaching God through, which is through his son Jesus, is precisely what has been in the mind of God throughout the Old Testament. You guys are with me? In, in the times of Moses, he gave us a sacrificial system as a type of, even the sacrifice, the tabernacle and everything, the author of Hebrews say this is a type because the real thing was still coming. Amen? Even Aaron being a high priest, God spoke through David and said, yeah, yeah, he's a high priest, but forget that. The high priest, the real high priest in the order of Melchizedek is coming. Amen? Even though God made a covenant through Moses, yet just few... Couple of decades later, a few hundred years later, God spoke through Jeremiah and said, Yeah, I know I made the covenant with you, but this is not the real deal. The real deal is coming later when Jesus the Messiah will come and he will be the high priest, the savior. Amen. 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 Let's close our eyes and pray.